Praise the Lord, everybody. Today we're going to start uh, with the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. And I always feel uh, compelled to say that uh, we are hitting the high points in this series only, and there have been many places along the way where we could have spent three or four programs just on those particular issues, but we have elected uh, for the sake of time for the sake of avoiding much speculation to just basically outline this book we're reading it together we're studying it on our own as well and there's some very interesting things that take place especially uh, with the beast rising up out of the sea in chapter 13 all the way through the rest of the book there's a lot of forces and a lot of factors that we did not cover very deeply, such as the power of deception in those days, such as the, the possibilities of transhuman elements. The, these, that transhuman issue is extremely interesting because uh, the technology is here now. And we could go on and on and on and on into these things. And I definitely believe that whatever technology is prominent, cutting edge, available, the Antichrist will use to one degree or another. And so we've elected for this series to simply read the book together, outline the book, and touch on some high points. Uh, in the coming weeks... Well, I should say days even, weeks, months, should the Lord tarry. We will take a look at some of these topics um, and how they fit into an end times scenario. For, uh, another thing that should be said here is that the book of Revelation is not the only place where you will find end times revelation. Um, we, we discussed it in... Uh, chapter 17, 18, and 19, how the book of Daniel, and even in chapter 13, the book of Daniel is tremendously important to understanding the book of Revelation. The book of Zechariah gives a clear picture of that last battle in Jerusalem. And so these are things I want you to keep in mind. We are by no means... Uh, digging deep into these subjects. There will be more to come uh, in the future. I'm praying about right now coming off of this series with a series on Matthew chapter 24, which really pertains mostly to the signs of the times. Um, those, those signs are here now, and they progress as we get closer, and the signs of the times will be in full force during the Great Tribulation as well. So there are road signs along our journey for you and I today, and it's a cosmic picture of what will be happening during the tribulation to a much larger degree than we're experiencing before the great tribulation. All of these concepts and ideas, we will try to develop them somewhat, you know, as we go through and prayerfully it will be a blessing to you. We are getting down to the end of our time in the book of Revelation, at least word for word, and uh, we will be looking at other things 
uh, right after this series, probably on Matthew 24. Now, I'm not certain yet. Uh, I'm praying about that, and we'll see what God uh, does. So if you have your Bibles today, let's talk from Revelation uh, chapter 20. Um, this chapter deals with the casting out of Satan from the earth, and it introduces the glorious reign of Christ known as the Millennium. Hallelujah. We've, we've talked about the Millennial reign. We have sung about the Millennial reign. We have preached about the Millennial reign. And today we will take a look at the Millennial reign of Christ. Uh, millennium comes from two Latin words, millae, meaning thousand, and annum, meaning years. Satan's brief activities after the millennium are noted, and his final judgment is seen. So we, just in the meaning of the word millennium, we have a clear picture of how long it's going to be. And this is why there are, there are certain eschatological viewpoints that claims that the church is in the millennium now. And that it, it, it came about with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, that cannot be true. Because the very word millennium, millennial, millennium, means a thousand years. So we're talking here about 1,000 years, not two. And so we are not in the millennium yet. And there are others out there today who are proposing that we are right now in the Great Tribulation. Honey, that just can't be true because we haven't seen the devastation and the demonic attack and we haven't seen the wrath of God poured out upon the earth. And the Bible tells us, you and me as born-again Christians, that we are not appointed to His wrath. So we won't be here when He's pouring out His wrath. Glory be to God. We will have been raptured uh, before the Great Tribulation. So let's read here. We have come through the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus Christ has returned in His glory and in His mighty power. And now we are to enter the Millennial Reign. And here we'll pick up with verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Oh, well, that's exciting right there. I know what's coming next. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I love that. I love that. I love that. Can't you wait, child of God, when the devil is shut up? <laughs> he's not going to whisper that doubt anymore. He's not going to whisper that fear anymore. He's not going to whisper those poisonous lies anymore because Jesus is going to shut him up. Praise be to God forever and forever. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, I want you to notice one thing briefly here. Um, how many times in, the, in our study of just the book of Revelation, not all of the rest of the Bible, because there's tons more in the whole Bible, but just in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> how, long, how often does the Lord use the phrase nations, peoples, tongues, tribes. You see, with God, it always goes deeper than just me. Now, don't misunderstand me. 
God cares for each individual on a very intimate basis. And God cares about every single thing, about every single one of us that touches our lives. And He wants us to be blessed because we're His children. Okay, so don't, don't miss me. Don't miss my point here. But what I'm saying is, it always goes beyond me into community. God deals with nations. God deals with peoples. God deals with tribes and tongues and races. God deals with families. And God deals with individuals. But my worldview must extend further than my backyard. That's one reason why world missions is so important. is because the heart of God beats for peoples, for places, for nations that have not yet heard the gospel or have no strong gospel voice contained in it. And so we see that over and over and over and over again. Now don't misunderstand me, and I've often told people this when they say, well, you know, I, I didn't like this decision that you made or I didn't like that decision that you made. I didn't like what you said. I didn't like what you did. And I said, you know what? When I die... I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ by myself. That's true. I'm not here to please men. I'm not here to please organizations. I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please God. And when we die, we stand before God on our own. My wife will not be there with me. My family will not be there with me. My friends... And my preacher buddies will not be there with me. I'll be standing there on my own, facing my life. And so the importance of the individual is clearly outlined all through the Bible. And so is the importance of community. And what I'm saying is, you and I need to rub shoulders with one another as believers on a consistent basis. It's in the book, friend. Don't let your thoughts override God's thoughts or God's Word. Amen. Praise God. This passage that we've read, Revelation 21-3 through here, continues the discussion of the events at the close of the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19. After that battle, an angel comes down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit. And this pit and abyss we looked at a little bit in chapter 17. Other spirits are imprisoned there now, as Satan will be for a thousand years when he will be bound by a great chain, which the angel carries as he comes to lay hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil. So we see there the dragon, that old serpent, devil. Those are some names for Lucifer, which is Satan. Okay. So when you read in your Bible, and I know this is kind of basic, but when you read in your Bible, Lucifer, it's talking about Satan. Most of the time, when you see the, symbol, the symbolism of a dragon, it's talking about Satan. When it talks about the serpent, way back in the Garden of Eden, it was the serpent, it was Satan in the form of a serpent that tempted Eve. So, 
again, the book of Revelation is filled with various symbolisms. The angel and Satan will be involved in an actual conflict, and Satan will be literally bound and sent to a real place sealed for the period of the millennium. In other words, he'll have no activity during the millennial reign of Christ. It's not known whether Satan's angels will actually cast, uh, be cast into the abyss with him, but they certainly will not be active on earth during the millennium. They're going to be loosed for a little you know, time period following the millennium, and Satan will attempt once again to deceive the nations, and then they'll be forever consigned to the lake of fire. So that's a little bit of a, of a glimpse of Satan's future. Whenever Satan tries to remind me of my past, I just remind him of his future. And, and the devil's really, he's cunning, he's brilliant, he's even smart, but he's stupid. Because he actually thinks he's going to defeat Jesus Christ. And old buddy, that ain't never going to happen. Praise God. Let's take a look at Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones... And they that sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And I want to stop right there, just for a moment, and say this. Um, we mentioned a couple times in this series, uh, transhumanism. And I, I just want to say to you, you know, in the days to come, if the government comes along <clears throat> and says, you know, we need you to put this chip in as a means of identification, I would strongly advise against it. This is why I believe that portions of the church, portions of the, the b believers who become believers during the tribulation, they're going to have to stay underground. Because... The chips that they're working on, I briefly alluded to it. I'm going to try to do a whole program on this before long, but um, they're developing chips right now that can actually modify behavior. And they are to be planted in the frontal lobe of the brain. And we read in the Bible that one place for the mark of the beast is in the forehead. Right behind the forehead is the frontal lobe. Okay? And... They say for criminals, you know, they can put, put it in there and it will turn them into uh, mellow and docile uh, people. They won't have that criminal anger and rage anymore, etc. and so forth. They're going to have all kinds of excuses. They're going to say it's going to help Alzheimer's and this, that, and the other. But don't take any chips because they can be possibly activated by the Antichrist. He will use whatever technology is at his disposal. Now, I don't want to get too far off into that um, today, but in the future, I want to do some shows just kind of looking at this. I want to give you some statements that have been made by scientists who are working on developing this technology. And it's amazing. It's mind-blowing but it's lining up 100% with the Word of God. And things that would not have been possible 20 years ago, which is why Jesus did not return then, 
because these things would not have been possible. Today, they are becoming, and in many cases, they are possible right now. But today, we're looking at the millennial reign. And I guess the, the injunction here from that verse that we just read is don't take, a, don't take a chip. Don't take the mark. If you take the mark, you are doomed. If you take the mark, you are consigned to hell. If you take the mark, you will not be there worshiping Jesus. And we want you to be there. Amen. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Uh, this is the doctrine of the millennium. It's strongly substantiated in all of scripture. It's mentioned six times in the first chapter, or I mean in the, in the first seven verses of chapter 20 of Revelation alone. It's referred to in Ephesians 1 and 10 as the dispensation of the fullness of time. It's called the day of the Lord in many scriptures. You can look at Isaiah 2.12, Isaiah 13.6, 13.9, You can look at Ezekiel uh, 48.35. You can look at Hosea 2.18, Joel 3.18, Zechariah 12, 8-11, verse one, and Zechariah 14, 1-9, and Malachi 3.17. You can also... Look, it's the kingdom of Christ and of God in Ephesians 5.5, 5, Matthew 20.21, 20, Luke 1.32-35, Luke 19.12-15, Luke 22.29-30, Luke 23.42, 2 Timothy 4.1, John 18.28-37, 1 Corinthians 15.24-28. It's a time when there will be a restoration and a restitution of all things. It's called the, the consolation, the consolation of Israel. No nation in the world has suffered more than the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, the people of God. No suffering has been greater. And they will be consoled in the millennium. Praise God. It's also called the redemption of Jerusalem in Luke 2.38. So the events of Revelation chapters 4 through chapter 19 have been fulfilled. And now Satan must be bound before the millennium begins. After Satan is bound, John sees these thrones and the occupants of the thrones, which are the tribulation martyrs. And they will be reigning with the other redeemed heavenly people as kings and priests with Christ. Now that's you and me. Tribulation martyrs have a part in the first resurrection, which comes before the 1,000 years of the millennium. It includes all the saved companies of the redeemed. Hallelujah. And it, it, it's all of us. From the time of Adam until the binding of Satan, we will all go into the millennium together. People who died in the 1500s serving Jesus. People who died in the 800s serving Jesus. People who died at the time of Jesus serving Jesus. 
and all the Old Testament saints that looked forward by faith to the sacrifice that was coming in their time, it was coming in the future. Now in our time, we look back to what happened on the cross. All of us together will partake of this millennial reign, and it will not leave out those saints who died during the tribulation. So once again, <clears throat> it shows point blank that there are people saved during the time of the Great Tribulation. The Old Testament saints under the Old Covenant did not have certain prerogatives, privileges, such as we have today living under grace and the New Covenant. But they will have an identical part and the same privileges during the millennial reign. So all the redeemed will rule with Christ. That's fascinating to me. Tribulation saints will be the last company resurrected and translated. All of these have a part in the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of the living saints. Now, when we say resurrection, understand, um, the, the soul and the spirit of those who have died, if they are born again, they are with Jesus. The resurrection is re referring to the human body they lived in, and that human body will be translated, and it will be perfect, and it will never die again, and their soul and their spirit will be reunited with it, praise God. Right now, the dead have spirit bodies. Many people have told me that have either had dreams of heaven or have actually died on an operating table and went to heaven, and then the Lord sent them back for whatever reason, that, that you look just as you look on the earth. There is some speculation as to perhaps everyone will look about 33 years old, because that's how old Jesus was when... He died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day. I don't know, but that's some of the thinking that is out there. Um, the wicked dead, however, have no part in the first resurrection. They are heading for what the Bible termed there, the second death. The second death. And that is, they died once and their soul and their spirits went to hell. Now they're going to die again when they are reunited with a physical body that is made eternal, immortal. This mortality must put on immortality, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. And we could best explain it like this. I might touch on it a little more later, but probably in another series as well. Um, <clears throat> hell is like the county jail. It's a temporary situation. The lake that burneth with fire and brimstone is eternal. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of a play on words. It's, it's all hell, but there is separate compartments. And one is active now. The other will be eternal. And I don't know how God's going to work all of that out. Okay. So those who have a part in the first re resurrection receive a great blessing, for on, the sec on them the second death has no power. Praise be to God. So, first of all, the millennial reign will be a literal kingdom. It will be a literal kingdom on earth. It will be run by Jesus Christ, 
the holy angels and the saints of God, the form of government that will be used will not be democratic. It will be a theocratic form of government. That means that God is reigning and primarily it is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Through David, the King of Israel, you can read Jeremiah 30, verse 9, Ezekiel 34, 24, <clears throat> Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28, and Hosea 3, verses 4 and 5. David will be the eternal King of Israel. Under Jesus Christ, of course. And also uh, the apostles and all the saints that reign with Christ. We should probably... Um, I don't know that I've done this. I might have done it. But we should probably just take a look at that word saints for a minute. You know how in the Catholic Church they have saints that they make statues of and they pray to them and all of this. That's not really the word saint in the Bible. Okay, The word saint in the Bible just simply means a Christian. It's one who has been sanctified. That's the same root word for saint and sanctified, the same root word. So the sanctified ones, those who are living holy in Christ Jesus, and that is done by faith in the blood of Christ that was shed at the cross, God makes us holy. So it's all of the believers, the Christ followers, uh, are termed as saints, not just some special historical people, okay? Uh, where the center of government, so we, we've, we've seen that it will be a theocratic form of government, meaning God to Jesus, to King David, and then to the saints who are ruling over other nations of the world in the millennium. The center of government will be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem by this time will have been rebuilt and restored, having a great and marvelous glory and serving as a world capital the center of worship forever. And there's a ton of scriptures you can read, but I'll just give you a couple. Look at 1 Chronicles 23, 25, and also 2 Chronicles 33, verses 4 through 7. Psalm 48, 8, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4, Isaiah 11, 11 through 12. Um, also Jeremiah 17, 25, Zechariah 8, 3 through 23, and Acts 15, 1 through 18. The kingdom as it exists during the millennium will have laws and regulations. Uh, even in heaven, as in the universe, there are specific laws. And man in the millennium will have laws that guide, that he will be expected to keep in all of eternity, as well as during the millennium. The kingdom will be an earthly one with earthly subjects, and some hearts will to an extent rebel against the rule of Christ. So these are the natural people. Um, you and I will have no desire. There will be no sin in our vocabulary at all during the millennium. And certainly not during eternity. And we'll look at that. Eternity is in the next two chapters, okay? But there are some people who have come through the Great Tribulation, who have escaped the Great Tribulation, who have made it through. They have not been killed. They will live out the rest of their lives. They will, they will reproduce children. They will be, there will be a population 
of natural people walking with the saints of God, David, all of the glorified people, glorified saints, and natural people will dwell together on the earth for this 1,000 years. <clears throat> the rebellion will not be open until the devil is loosed at the end of the thousand years. And that's we looked at that in chapter 20 here, verses 1 through 10. So in other words, during that time, when Satan is bound, there's no temptation for those people. But since they haven't been regenerated, many of them will still have deep in their hearts rebellion against God. They, they, they may keep the rules, but they will rebel in their hearts. It's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you live at home with your parents, and they say, do this or do that, and you don't want to do it, but you don't want the consequences either, so you go on ahead and do it. Well, Satan will be loosed at the end of the millennium for a short time, the Bible says. And that is where he will separate out those who are still willing to follow him. And they will follow him right into the eternal lake of fire. And then the others will be born again, so to speak. In that dispensation, it will come as they choose Jesus Christ. So it all comes back to Jesus Christ. These people are not saved in the millennium unless they accept Jesus Christ. And that's the point that's being made. And there will come a time when they will have to choose. Um, there will be people who were not saved when the millennium began and who were permitted to live through it. They will relate to the outward laws and governments, sort of like the Old Testament. But their hearts will not be transformed. There may well be those who will be executed during the millennium because they commit sins worthy of death. You can read Isaiah 11, 3-5, and Isaiah 65, 20. There will be laws to govern and to keep order, and quick action will be executed for refusal to follow the rules and laws of God. So there's the outward laws that govern natural man in the kingdom, these, of course, do not govern the desires of a free will or the spiritual aspect of man, but they control and govern the natural man in the kingdom. And secondly, there are other laws governing the spiritual man, and that is the man who will desire spiritual things and live in the spirit. These are the inner things, the things of the heart, such as Jesus referred to in Matthew chapters 5-7. through These laws will be administered by Christ and the glorified saints who have been made kings and priests, and justice will be meted out for those who do not follow the laws. Relative to the natural laws, there will be people executed for failing to follow the rules when they know them and have been clearly warned and informed about them. It's, but what it's basically saying is that it's just a law and order like any other place in the world have certain laws. And there are states right now that... Um, if you go into their state and you murder somebody, you will be put to death. And it's no difference here because of this tremendous influx of people who are alive at the end of the Great Tribulation and somehow they escaped the, the 
uh, crosshairs of the Antichrist and his regime, and they are alive and they make it through, and Jesus returns. I believe that many of those will accept Christ, but they'll all be in a natural state, in a human fleshly body that is not glorified until after the millennial reign. Some of them will live, the Bible tells it, we're going to get to it in a little bit, some of them will live through the entire millennial reign. You think of it. So, we see that there also will be a millennial temple for the Jews. This temple will be called the sanctuary, and it will be about a mile square, Ezekiel 45, verses 1 through 4. This will not be the temple that was built in the last days before the second coming of Christ, and the one in which the Antichrist will sit during the last three and a half years of the age of grace. That's a different temple. That one will be destroyed when Christ comes the second time. This millennial temple will be built by Christ himself. Praise God when he comes back to the earth to set up his kingdom. Read Zechariah 6 verses 12 and 13. It will be Christ's earthly throne forever. Ezekiel 43.7 There will be priests in this temple as there were in the first temple. Descendants of Levi will be involved in service and the sons of Zadok who were the who were true to the house of David will do some of the most holy work. And that is described for us graphically in Ezekiel chapter 43 verses 19 through 27 and Ezekiel 44 verses 9 through 31. Also 1 Kings 1 39. 2 Samuel 8 17 15:24 and 20 verse 25. It's indicated that the priesthood of Moses and his law is an eternal one. Exodus 29.9, Exodus 40.15, Numbers 25.11-13, and 1 Chronicles 23.13. This, however, is not in conflict with the scripture in Hebrews 7 verses 11-28. Although there is a change in approach to salvation and mediation with God, basic requirements exist. Christ is our Passover, sacrificed once and forever as contrasted to the regular offerings and sacrifices. So, what that's basically saying, Christ became the Passover sacrifice for you and I, and we don't have to kill an animal any longer as it relates to our sins because Christ has already paid for that. And so He is our Passover, He is our slain lamb, He is our offering, and faith in Him is the way that salvation works. And that same faith that you get saved by is how sanctification works. The offerings will serve as a reminder for the daily aspects of the lives of the natural people who are there that day. It will show them the same picture of Christ as it served at one time in the past. All of this to fulfill what has been written. Alright? And so this is a little bit mind-boggling, but when we get down to the end of it, you will see, what once we get into eternity, you will see how beautiful and marvelous that this really is. So these are memorials. These, these offerings that will be offered during the millennium are memorials. They are object lessons to show the people what has been accomplished through Christ. We have an example in churches today 
we take the Lord's Supper. We have a memorial regarding what Jesus did in his redemptive work at Calvary. In Ezekiel chapters 43 through 46, nearly all the feasts that were observed by the Jews are mentioned. Offerings and feasts and new moons and Sabbaths and various ordinances and activities such as solemnities, I'll say it in a moment, solemnities of the house of Israel will be observed during the millennium and in the new earth forever. You can read Ezekiel 44, 45, 46 and also Isaiah 66 verses 22 through 24. Flowing out from the millennial temple will be a literal river. It flows eastward and from the south side of the altar and then it turns to go southward through Jerusalem, dividing Jerusalem with half the river flowing westward into the Mediterranean Sea and the other half flowing into the Dead Sea. The Bible tells us that the Dead Sea will be healed so that once again, hallelujah, life will exist in it with multitudes of fish and sea life. Read Zechariah 14.8 and Ezekiel 47. 1 through 12. How many of you know where the river of God flows, life is? Where the river of God flows, the Holy Ghost. Where the Holy Ghost moves, there is life. Hallelujah. And that will continue forever and forever and forever and forever. Praise be to God. There will be a great earthquake that takes place when Christ sets His foot on the Mount of Olives at his second coming, causing a significant change for the whole country. Zechariah 14, verses 4 and 5 tell us about it. The Dead Sea will be provided an outlet to purify its stagnant waters, having been raised so that it can give life and sustenance. Actually, that river is going to lift up a bit. This is not the same river as the one in the New Jerusalem, for that one will not come down to earth until the new earth after the millennium. And that's when we get to Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. So I'll explain it then. So marvelous spiritual conditions will exist all throughout and during the millennium. The Spirit of God has already been poured out in our time in a great and mighty way. It began on the day of Pentecost and experiences greater fulfillment in these latter days. But this will be fully completed and fulfilled both during the millennium and throughout eternity future forever. So that's the place I want to stop right there and just say this. And I'll give you some scripture references. It's the same way when we talked about in <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6, we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we said that there is a particular place in time where they begin their ride. And they never stop riding throughout the entire book of Revelation. Book, uh, I mean the entire Great Tribulation. It's the same thing with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There was a particular point in time where it started under the New Covenant. It started on the day of Pentecost in the upper room in Jerusalem. You can read about it in the book of Acts. That Spirit has intensified. The Spirit's moving has intensified all through the church age. And the ultimate fulfillment of it is in the millennium. 
Hallelujah. There will be glories and wonders and miracles such as we have never seen before or even dreamed of. The scripture says he is far above all that we can ask or think. And that's going to be fulfilled in the millennium and it will continue all throughout eternity future. So praise God. During the millennium there will be prosperity for all nations glorious peace, and universal religious activities. And Jesus Christ will be the object of everyone's worship during the millennium. You see, there is coming a new world order. There is coming a one world government. And it will happen when Jesus comes back and sets up His kingdom on the earth. Hallelujah. There won't be worship of anything or any other God or anybody else. It'll be worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone. What a great day that's going to be. So during this time, and this is, a, this is a, an amazing, amazing thing. During this time, universal knowledge will also abound. Isaiah 11.9 Hebrews 2.14, Zechariah 8.22 and 23. Great insights and understanding will exist, and there will be real freedom for the expansion and simulation of knowledge and understanding. We'll just never quit learning, and we'll never quit understanding and learning the intricacies of the universe as God will teach us during the millennial reign. Praise God. There will be missionaries during the millennium. The Jewish people will become great missionaries of the gospel and priests of the law during this age and forever. Isaiah 2, 2-4, Isaiah 40, verse 9, Isaiah 52, verse 7, Isaiah 61, verse 6, Isaiah 66, 18-21, and Zechariah 8-23. The promise was given to Abraham that his seed would be a blessing to all nations. And they will carry out a missionary program greater than the ones we have today. There will be people during the millennium who have not made a personal commitment to Christ and have not had a true born-again experience who will come to know Him as a result of these missionary efforts. There will be those repenting and accepting Christ as today, and salva salvation will be for all, but they will need to make that personal commitment. Read Joel chapter 2, verse 32, Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, chapter 11, verse 9, 52, verse 7, and Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10. And in addition to all of these blessings, praise God, God is so filled with love and mercy. God is good. And He is reaching out all of these blessings, these opportunities for the natural people to come to Christ even then. Even though He's, clo he's closed out what we will call the age of grace, but there's still grace. Hallelujah. And watch how this progresses, especially when we get to the next chapters uh, into eternity future. Uh, in addition to this, there will be appropriated divine healing for all. Alright, now listen to this. You can read Isaiah 32, 1-5. through 5. 
Isaiah 33:24, Isaiah 35, 3-6, Isaiah 53, 5, and Matthew 8, 17. And there will be no further need for a feeble person among them. Psalms 105, 37, and 107, 20. So we want to hear this, and this goes back to something I talked about the other day. Um, I believe it's always, always, always God's will to heal the sick. Hallelujah. He proves it right here under the new administration of Christ during the millennium. All can be healed. Every single one. And we're going to look into that very deeply. Uh, in, throughout eternity it will be that way. All will be well and healthy always. So it only makes sense to me that that's His will for right now. However, we live on a fallen planet and His will is sometimes subverted by many things. God's plan always comes to pass. God's will, you know, like He said, I wish that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, but all don't get saved. He wishes all to be healed and well, but all do not receive healing. There are many reasons why, but here's how God heals every single person, even today, even now in the time you and I are living in. He does it either immediately, all at once, Boom, you're healed, or He does it over time, you get better, or He does it in His presence when you graduate to glory, but you are healed. I think that's the only picture that the Bible gives us, honestly. I believe it's the only picture that the Bible gives us is that God is a healer, and God wants His people well. Living conditions during the millennium will be most wonderful. There will be no tempter because Satan will be bound. We read about that. There will be universal peace, Isaiah 2, 4, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Micah 4, verses 3 and 4. Swords will no longer be used for war, but they will be for construction use. There will be no harboring of prejudices and national ills. Spiritual revivals will break out in every land. And as people turn to God, they will be united in serving Christ. Attention will not be focused on wars or depressions or various forms of government. People during the millennium will live in full satisfaction with peace and prosperity, knowing the goodness and the blessings of God in His wonderful reign. Malachi 1, verse 11. There will, there will be no need nor desire or want as man feeds on universal prosperity. Isaiah 65, 24. And Micah 4, verses 4 through 5. Unemployment and poverty will cease because there will not be great amounts of money spent on evils as in our present day. The financial system referred to in Malachi 3, 7 through 10, and that's how we will carry out. We will carry out the tithing plan of God. It was a part of the plan before the law, Genesis 14, 20, Genesis 28, 22, as well as under the law, Leviticus 27, 30 through 33, Numbers 18, 21, Nehemiah 10, 37, Nehemiah 13, 10 through 12, and Proverbs 3, Verses 9 and 10. And tithing has also been employed since the law in our time, during the age of grace, during the church age. Uh, and you can read Matthew 23, 23, 1 Corinthians 9, 7 through 18, 
1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3, and Hebrews 7. This type of system without politics and graft will supply ample provisions for everyone. There will be no need for special taxes. Great assistance will be given to promoting the presentation of the gospel. In other words, just as now, God has left it in the hands of the church to present the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's his heart. You, you know, you sharing your faith with your neighbors and friends and families, that's the heart of God. And that heart will continue through this great millennial reign of Christ. And vast expenses will be made to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth to make sure that everybody gets in who wants to come in. And that's just like God. That's how God operates. That is the single most reason why I believe Jesus hasn't returned yet. He still wants to reach that number of the fullness of the Gentiles. And what a glorious day this millennial reign will be. Now during the millennial reign, we also see that human life will be prolonged. Isaiah 65.20 and Zechariah 8.4 The glorified saints who are ruling with Christ at this time are of course immortal. We, we will be immortal, but natural people will continue to live. They'll be able to live a thousand years. And if they do not ally with Satan, if they don't give over to Satan to rebel against God at the end, they will live forever and ever. Think of that. Man was made to live a long time. Adam lived 900 years. Methuselah lived 969 years. The human body virtually replenishes itself every seven years. Should live on indefinitely and well during the time of the millennium. There will be an increase of light also. Isaiah 30 verse 26 and Isaiah 60 verses 18 through 22. There will be such an increase of light that... It will be increased seven times, and the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun today. And we know that light has healing and restorative powers. This may also relate to man's longevity. I made a, phrase, I, I made a statement of a phrase in one of the sessions uh, a few, few days or weeks ago where I talked about man's journey back to Eden. This is it. Many times we've wondered why those patriarchs of old lived so long. Some, you know, 900 years, 969 years, 700 years. How'd they live so long? Well, it was close to the time of the fall. And sin had not run its evil courses as it would run, say, in our time, 2,000 years later from Christ and 6,000 or so years from Adam and Eden. And I'm not going to get into the pre-Adamic creation. I believe it. I believe there was a pre-Adamite race. We can talk about that at another time. But as far as human beings are concerned, the further we got away from Eden, the shorter we lived. That will all be reversed once we get here into the millennial reign. Praise God. I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all this today or not, but I'm sure going to give it a try. So, changes will be evidenced 
in the animal kingdom during the millennial reign and their very natures will be transformed. Isaiah 11, 6 through 8. Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Romans 8, verses 18 through 23. These animals will no longer be fierce. They will not kill. They will not be poisonous. The earth will be restored to the wonderful beauty of its original creation. Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. Isaiah 55, 12 and 13, through 13, Ezekiel 36, 8 through 12. The book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 18 through 27, chapter 3, 17 through 21, Amos, chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, Romans 8, 18 through 23, and 2 Peter 3. During the millennial reign administration, man will face the test of obedience to the laws of divine government and to Christ, and to mold his character in harmony with God. Psalm 2, Revelation 5.10, Revelation 11.15, and Revelation 20. God has several purposes for the millennial dispensation. First, there will be no rebellion and enemies will be put under his feet. Secondly, the everlasting covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and others will be fulfilled. Thirdly, Israel will be restored and delivered from the nations and made head over them. Acts 15, verses 13 through 17. Isaiah 11, 11. Ezekiel 20, 33 through 34. And Deuteronomy 28. Fourthly, the saints of God will be exalted to serve as kings and priests and they will be rewarded according to God's promises and according to their works and commitment to Christ. Glory be to God forever. Romans 8, 17, 21. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Philippians 3.20 and 21, Colossians 3.4, and we could go on and on. Fifthly, all things in heaven and earth will be gathered together and truly be one in Christ. Think of that, Ephesians 1.10. And will be restored as before the rebellion. Glory be to God. Back to Eden. Sixthly, the nations will be judged in righteousness, and the earth will be restored to its rightful owners. Isaiah 2, 2 and 4. Isaiah 11, 1 through 11. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Daniel 7, 9 through 27. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Finally, the eternal government that God wanted on earth all along as a righteous one and one that he originally planned will finally be realized. In other words, sin is over. We're not going to talk right at the moment about the, the minor rebellion that Satan will stage later. It will only last a short time. For all practical purposes right here in the millennial reign, temptation is over. Sin is over. Gross behavior is over. Violence is over. And what God intended when He used to come down and walk with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden, what He intended all along will finally be realized. And I have to give you these scriptures. It's such glorious reading. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, 42, 1 through 5. And uh, Luke 1, 32, 33. 
and so on and so forth. You can find it everywhere where the prophets prophesied about a coming day of peace. They were talking about the millennium. Praise God. All of this will be realized as God sends forth His Son with the angels and the glorified saints to put down all rebellion on earth and bring judgment and complete the plan and the purposes of God. The kingdom of God will then be permanently established over the earth and it will be as it was in the beginning. Praise God. That's so powerful. Now let's read verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are expired, in other words, when the millennium is over, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. This is a different situation than the Ezekiel 38 and 39 situation. This is some thousand years or more later. And they went up on the breadth of the earth. See, Gog and Magog, there will be the same spirits, the same demon entities, the princes that operated in the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. But we're talking about a thousand year time difference and separation between them. They go up the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. Hallelujah. Remember those guys? They got thrown into the, the lake of fire and brimstone and shall be tormented day and night forever and forever. So after the thousand years are fulfilled, <clears throat> Satan will be loosed out of his prison and will attempt to deceive the nations once more. So it's like he, you know, God thinks he's got it back to the beginning. I'm just going to do it all over again. But it does not work. There's already this has been discussed a little bit already. The the word for deceive here is planeo, planeo. And it means to cause to wander or to go astray. It relates to doctrinal error and deceit. And this exacts what Satan will do as he tries to deceive men. I'm going to tell you something right now. At that particular time right there, and it's no different for the time we're in today, Satan's just going to try to do it all over again like he did with Adam in the garden, and then he did it with God's people all through uh, the dispensations of, of the Bible. He's going to try it again in the millennium. You don't want to be the banana that gets peeled. The first banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled. Listen, get in church. Stay in church. Stay connected to a pastor face-to-face, -face, personally. Uh, use all your television resources and your, your audio and video resources. Use them on other times. But when the church is meeting, be there. Stay connected. You are so quick to be deceived if you leave God's flock. And that doesn't mean that everybody out there having church is doing things right. But it does mean you need to be led by the Holy Spirit and He's never going to lead you to go hide. He wants you in community. He wants you with His people. So it'll be the same thing in this time frame. During the millennium, millions of natural people on earth will have had that period of time in which to accept Christ as Savior and truly to submit to God. 
<clears throat> having retained their fallen Adamic nature, they will in various ways be subject to the influence of Satan when he is loosed. Satan will recruit followers that will seek to help him overthrow the kingdom of God, and he will lead them uh, against the saints at Jerusalem. So Gog and Magog at this time relates to Gentiles who will rebel. The, the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 were destroyed before the millennium. This relates to a, a rebelling group of Gentiles and more specifically the spirit that causes that rebellion. The destruction of these groups from the east and the west is after the millennium. As they come against the kingdom and seek to take the city, fire will descend from God and devour them. Satan, the great deceiver, will be cast into the lake of fire. The beast and the false prophet have been confined there since the battle of Armageddon, which immediately preceded this millennium. Hell is certainly the answer to these evil powers and beings, Satan and the beast and the false prophet, and all the wicked rebels of earth will have their place in the lake of fire forever. And that brings us to the great white throne judgment, and I have no more than about 15 minutes to get this in. Again, it's my prayer that we will be able to take some of these topics and um, just do a particular study on each of them uh, in the near future. So Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, ominous tones, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things that were written in the books according to their works. That's one reason we know there's no believers here. Because we've already been judged according to Jesus' works. Amen. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Once again here, as we have on other occasions seen John, received this vision of the great white throne which is occupied by God. The events that are taking place at this time in the vision come after the millennium, after the revolt of Satan. <clears throat> it states in this passage that heaven and earth fled from his face. The Greek word for face is prosopon. Prosopon. And this means the countenance, the aspect, the appearance, and the surface, the front view, outward appearance, face. And it also means person. It indicates that God has an outward appearance and that God has a real body. The word is used nine times in the book of Revelation. It's used in chapter 4, verse 7, chapter 6, verse 16, chapter 7, verse 11, chapter 9, verse 7, chapter 10, verse 1, chapter 11, verse 16, chapter 12, 
verse 14, chapter 20, verse 11, and again it will be used chapter 22, verse 4. In other places in the New Testament, this same word has reference to a bodily presence and its actual appearance. So in other words, this is a time when all of these rebels at the great white throne judgment, only the, re the rebellious will be there. Only the eternally lost will be there. They will be judged according to their works. And it's interesting to me that we know this is an unsaved judgment only for various reasons. I mentioned one of them is that we have already been judged by faith in Jesus' sacrifice. We've been judged by His works. Amen. And that's all through the New Testament teaching. But every one of these unsaved people standing that day before God will actually see God. They will see Him bodily. They will be in His presence. And He has the book of life there. He wants to make certain, make doubly certain, make triply certain that He's right. He will not cast anybody in hell that shouldn't be there. Now we know that such a thing has already been worked out by the time of this great white throne judgment. But God has the book there saying, uh, I am fair in what I am doing. I am just in what I am doing because your name's not in this book. He will throw no one into hell that doesn't deserve it. That doesn't send themselves. See, we, we all deserve it. That's why when you receive Christ, you get what you don't deserve. You get eternal life. And you get to be with the Lord forever and forever. What a powerful uh, picture of God's judgment and justice that we have here. There are many things that need to be observed in this great white throne judgment. It must be pointed out that God is the judge. And I won't read all the scriptural references because you understand this. God the Son is also spoken of as being a judge. Both the Father and the Son are seen as judges. And you can look at 2 Timothy 4, 1, 4, 8, Acts 10, 42, Acts 17, 30, 31, Hebrews 12, verses 23 through 24, and so many more uh, verses in the Bible that show that God is not only love and mercy and grace, but God is a judge. He is a judge. Those judged in this event are the wicked people of the whole human race. Acts 17.31, Romans 3.6, and Revelation 20.11-15. However, this will not include the beast, the false prophet, the goat nations, or the tares. And we'll talk about that another time. Uh, they have already been consigned to eternal blackness and lostness then there are only those that will be judged at the final judgment of the nations that will not need to be in this final judgment. Sentence upon them has been pronounced a thousand years earlier, and that judgment need not be repeated. The judgment will come, this judgment will come to pass after the millennium, and after has, Satan has been cast into the lake of fire. It is a very specific day of judgment, and set at a very definite time. Matthew 10.15, Matthew 11.24, Matthew 12.36, Acts 17.31, 
2 Peter 2, 4, and Jude, verses 6 and 7. This judgment takes place before the throne of God, and at this time the throne is still in heaven. It will not come to earth until after the earth has been renovated by fire. According to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it seems that the renovation of the earth by fire will also take place at this final judgment. Now, fire, mean, there's, there's two meanings to fire as we see fire here. Okay, number one, fire speaks of judgment, as in the everlasting fire, the, the lake of fire and brimstone. Also, fire speaks of purification. And so in, in 2 Peter 3, 7, when he talks about the earth being renewed and renovated by fire, God's going to purify it. All of the stain, all of the, the evil that has been here in the past, God's going to burn the dross away, and He's going to rebuild a perfect earth. And we're really going to look at that in our next uh, sessions. He's going to have a perfect earth in its place. At this time, all the secrets of men, Romans 2.16, all their idle words, Matthew 12.36, all their works, their thoughts, and their actions will be judged before man is condemned and punished, he stands trial and understands clearly the reason for his judgment. There will be no excuse or criticism of the sentence. His conscience will divulge his sins. Read Romans 2, verses 12 through 16. The law will be clear, and the gospel will be a significant basis for the judgment. The book of of life is opened and every man's works are revealed. There's many references to the book of life, Exodus 32, uh, 32 and 33, Daniel 12, 1, Luke 10, 20, uh, Philippians 4, 3, Revelation 3, 5, 13, 8, 17, 8, 20, 12 through 15, etc. and so forth. The book of life has in it the names of those who are, have entered into life and committed to the Lord. <coughs> Basically the reference to books uh, in Revelation 20.12, relates to the Word of God which will judge men. The dead here do not include angels, but mortals who have died and gone to hell, which we know to be different from the lake of fire or eternal hell, because death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Remember? This is the second death, Revelation 20.14. Hades is the present place of confinement for the soul's uh, of the wicked, and they are conscience, they are in torment until they are resurrected, and then uh, they are cast into the lake of fire. And you can read a lot of references in the Bible about that. Hell will have degrees of punishment and torment and fire, just as heaven will have degrees in rewards and bliss and comfort for those that are good and faithful. The degrees of punishment would conceivably come primarily through the torment of a man's inner conscience and awareness of his evil deeds committed together with the realization of the failures made and their refusal to commit their lives to Christ. And that will torment them for all of eternity. Punishment is eternal. Those who receive life have everlasting life and the same word Aeonion, which means forever, is also applied to the matter of punishment. Matthew 25, 41, 
in verse 46. <clears throat> Mark 9, verses 43 through 47. Um, Luke 12.5, Hebrews 6.2, Hebrews 6.10, 26-31, Revelation 14, 9-11, 19.20, 20.10-15, and we'll also look at it again in chapter 21, verse 8, when we get there in the book of Revelation. So this has been a very, very brief look at the millennial reign. As we basically covered what is said there in the 20th chapter, um, in the future, we might do a whole series just on the millennium. I mean, there is some powerful uh, truths that you know, all things are going to be ours, folks. Those of us who live for Jesus, those of us who have put our faith in what Christ did at the cross, all things are going to one day be ours. And it's going to be glorious, blessed, and tremendous indeed. So I hope that that's been a help and blessing to you today. We had to move real fast through it in order to get it done. Again, let me repeat as we get ready to close that this is just an outline study. And there are, oh man, you, you would never in a lifetime be able to teach all of this and exhaust it. You just couldn't do it. There's so much here. But I thank you and I appreciate those of you who listen every, every week to the broadcast. And we are going to go into so many more good things in the future. And we have two more chapters left in the book of Revelation. And this is the eternal kingdom and a concluding invitation. And we're going to look at it next time. I don't know if we'll get them done uh, in two programs or not. But we'll, we'll get them done anyway, praise God. And then we will be moving on into another series. But until the next time that you and I can gather together around the Word of God... This is Evangelist Len Paxton saying, Go with God, and He will go with you. Bless you, is my prayer.